Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's what we do, what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host, and I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. I have to admit, as I prep for this uh, podcast, that as I get older, I stand back curious and admittedly sometimes burdened as I watch the up-and-coming generation navigate perhaps some of the the same challenges we grew up with, but, uh, and maybe this is somewhat subjective to say this, but perhaps with with different worldviews, with uh, altering worldviews than we might have had, or uh, perhaps we had more shared views back in our generation. I don't know. You know how when you get older, you you look at things through a rose-color lens, and <laughs> we always think it was so much easier. Uh, but I have I, I think there's merit though to to be asking some of these questions. Um, I've observed with really keen interest and, and equal concern how progressive Christianity, and I would I would really recommend that you. Uh, study that term and understand what progressive Christianity is, uh, how it is shaping uh, the worldview of many and what we refer to now as, as Gen Z. Uh, so Gen Z would be your high school, college age uh, kids right now. Uh, and these are not black and white issues as they, they perhaps were for us. Uh, moral issues are viewed and approached with more nuances, more angles, more possibilities, more perspectives than it might have been for us. Things like abortion, same-sex attraction, social justice, and, and even the uh, clarity of the gospel message itself uh, are, are becoming more complicated conversations with, uh, with less clear uh, conviction or perhaps outcome. And this will, this will shape our future and the future of the church. I have no doubt about it. Well, I had the privilege for a second time to sit down with Professor Rich Griffiths to specifically discuss all this with him. He is a single dad, adopted two sons, Aaron and Dylan, and he had served in the U.S. Army, spent 29 years in youth ministry, uh, working with a variety of churches and, and parachurch uh, he's also been a lead pastor for uh, some time in, in youth ministry capacities and also currently uh, leading a small church here in Georgia. And he's passionate about youth, uh, families, and the church. He's a published author, contributor to the Teen Devotional, as well as other youth and ministry-related publications. Uh, so we're going to be talking uh, similar to what we talked before, but I think it's going to be uh, a, a deeper dive into it. Um, I, I'm not sure what I'm calling this. Probably Gen Z and the gospel. Uh, everything's about the gospel for me. But anyway, uh, let's go ahead and dive into that conversation. Now. I think you're. I know you're going to look forward to it. Okay. Well, I have uh, Rich Griffith on the other end of my computer here. This is the second time you've been on this. Uh, before you quit podcast. So thanks again. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad, to, glad to be here. Thank you. It's been fun to develop the, the rapport and the relationship and get your perspective on things too. So yeah, well, well, good. Yeah. Well, we had the option of meeting in your office and I live only a few miles from where you are. And I uh, emailed you and said, uh, you know, it's a small office. I know it's busy around there. I tend to talk loud when I'm interviewing and the, <laughs> and the, and the connections better through zoom than in person for some reason. Sure, so sure. here we are, here we are. Okay. Um, we're the, the, this is really a heavy one for me. I've been, we, we did touch on this a little bit in the previous podcast where we talked more about this generation, um, generation Z, uh, and church, and this is going to be more a conversation about. Uh, I, th- I think this generation and, and and Christian college, but it's going to be broader than that. I think pastors, Christians need to understand uh, this generation, their worldview, uh, their understanding of the gospel, and and what we're doing about that. So, but uh, remind us again what you do. And I love asking this question: Why do you do it? What drives you? What burdens you? Sure. Well, uh, well, first of all, I'm the professor of youth ministry at Tacoma Falls College. Uh, I also part-time pastor a church. Uh, my doctoral degree was from Fuller Theological Seminary, and it's a doctorate in youth, family, and culture. Studied under the great Chap Clark. I don't know if many folks are exposed to Chap, but uh, they can, you know, Google him and find out who he is and what he's doing. 
Um, and I've worked with guys like Mark DeVries who have written a book. Uh, well, Chap wrote a book called Hurt, and he updated it called Hurt 2.0 and some other things. Uh, Mark DeVries wrote a book called Family-Based Youth Ministry and Sustainable Youth Ministry. Uh, so just working with those guys and folks like from Fuller Youth Institute just came back from a conference where I was speaking at D6. Are you familiar with D6, a huge family conference? I I, I um, know you were going to that, and I, I did look it up a little bit. So, yeah, no, I had not heard of it before. looks really interesting. Right, uh, yeah. yeah, family ministry. And I think the church is finally coming around to, you know, family ministry is not just, um, uh, you know, K through six. You know, we're actually looking at ways to incorporate the entire family now. Uh, but I'm still trying to push, uh, you know, there's a leading concept that still church is still catching up with church and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a big difference, particularly with all the, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, a lot of young people, even 27 years old, you know, are struggling. You know, their, mm-hmm. their faith is under attack. Their, their worldview is under attack if they have any kind of a Christian world you. So that's kind of my heart is equipping the next generation of youth leaders to be prepared for ministry, uh, church as family ministry for the next 15, 20 years. Okay. Well, let's talk about this uh, Gen Z, um, but let's start by defining who they are. Are they the ones that are coming to places like Tacoa Falls College that would be Gen Z, right? It's uh, Sure, they would. So college age, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the new uh, Gen Z are kind of the tail end of what we would know as millennials <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and moving into that. And it's really hard to believe that, you know, millennials in uh, 2000, right? And mm-hmm. we're already at year 2021. What's interesting about that is the research that's being done. I'm not sure research is even keeping up with what I would call a, a, the rapidity of change in culture Yeah. where when you and I were growing up, the rapidity of change, when there was this, what we would call a generation gap, it was mm-hmm. typically the generation gap was between our parents and ourselves. So a 20 year, you know, gap. Now what's interesting is we have young people, Gen Z coming in to college and they're 18 year old and they're having a hard time even uh, connecting with their younger siblings. Yeah. And a lot of this is driven by technology. Technology changes so quickly. Uh, and so a lot of the rapidity of change, information, things that we're learning, either true or false, is really changing worldview perspectives where even, you know, college kids are having a hard time uh, uh, connecting with and understanding the worldview of their younger siblings. Yeah, it used to be, as you said, a generation uh, that you'd see a, a, you know, a noticeable difference in, in worldview attitude. And I mean, what I've heard is that it kind of uh, recycles every two to three years now. And yeah. that, that gap is, is going to become far more, far more narrow. And uh, yeah, we have to be on our toes with, with this, uh, you know, and, and know how to how to be prepared for it and, and how to change. I mean, I've got lots of questions related to that here, but uh, how would you, uh, how would you say that, you know, a Christian institution like Tacoa, uh, Tacoa Falls College, um, uh, what are they facing in, in this generation that it's, is unique from previous generations? And when, I guess when I talk about previous sure. generations, maybe, uh, you know, our generation or, or mm-hmm. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think the real, well, there's a couple of challenges. We can look at the academic challenge, which I'll talk about that. And then we'll look at the challenges that our young people are facing that are going into ministry. Right, Uh, right. right. So, so the academic challenge, not necessarily in your liberal arts, not necessarily in some of your, like, say you want to go to nursing. There's not a whole lot that changes in nursing when it comes to practice. Yes, there's new practices Mm -hmm. and things like that, but the worldview of nursing doesn't change so quickly as the worldview of Christianity and the worldview of the world against that, if that makes sense. So you got mm-hmm. a secular worldview and then you have a faith-based worldview. Um, but so what that does for TFC in a college that is going into a university model, uh, but, you know, in our department, the ministry leadership department, we see less and less young people actually looking to do a degree in ministry. Yeah. Um, so now what's interesting, too, in education, a lot of young people, uh, and this, this kind of fits the culture, if you think about it, they are kind of hodgepodging their education. 
So they may take a few courses from here and a few courses from here and a few courses from here. And that's how they're getting their education. It's not this like when you and I went to college, there was a set way to go through and get your education. And that was prescribed. And that's what you had to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we're we're even making general studies even more general. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the challenge that Christian colleges are facing is, um, you know, do we keep ministry degrees like pastoral ministry, youth ministry, children and family? We're seeing a huge decline in demand. And this isn't just TSC, by the way. This Mm -hmm. is Christian universities, right? Yeah, yeah. Less and less demand of people going and getting like uh, children and family ministry degrees. Um, So what what the college is struggling with is because of the imposition of a worldview that even Christians have grown up in is do we take more of a general ministry degree and do specializations under that? Mm-hmm. So, and I think, again, this is because we're churches are having to have less positions that they're paying for because they're not being able to afford it because church attendance seems to be going down a little bit. Um, and so what they're doing is they have to combine roles. So instead of somebody being a children's pastor and then you have a youth pastor, we're having what I would call cradle to college. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are going to have to be people who are more specialized in just next gen. I would like to push it though and say, one of the reasons we've gotten ourselves into this mess is because we've had all these specialized ministries that have been siloed in the church. Mm-hmm. And so young people are leaving the church because they're not having intergenerational interaction. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a real challenge to mm-hmm. figure out how we're going to equip people to, they may not have the passion for working with children, but they're going to have to equip people to work with children right? Or may not have a passion yeah. for work with youth, but they're going to have to equip youth workers while they oversee the cradle to college ministry. Yeah. And, and you know, at, at, at least uh, you're wanting to, whether people are going into ministry or not, vocation ministry or not, you're wanting to prepare people uh, to represent Christ wherever they are, to right be committed to the gospel, to know the scriptures. Uh, so that, that opportunity is always going to be there. Uh, although I, I do agree that I've seen, uh, I'm hearing, uh, you know, my connections with the college, a lot less people going to prepare to be a pastor. Uh, now I've heard some of that is because larger churches are, are tend to have their own, their own methods of, of preparing people. And some are, are taking, uh, you know, general uh, college degrees and then get it going to seminary. Uh, sure. I remember, I remember one time someone explained it to me that way. Uh, but still, there's the opportunity to equip people to love Jesus, to love the gospel, to represent Christ. Um, so let let's let's maybe broaden the conversation away from ministry to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how does a, a, a and we'll talk about some of the specifics. Uh, worldview of this generation. Uh, how does, and maybe this, this question is, is more, shouldn't be on the front end, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, how does a Christian college adjust uh, to uh, those changing worldviews, to the influence of the world without compromising or changing its values and convictions? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question, because I think what I see is this. And again, I hate to go back to this, but this whole issue of systemic abandonment and even to the point sometimes where I would say systematic abandonment, you know, the the other agendas of the, the secular world. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where so let's talk about the secular worldview and perspective in this in the sense that what has changed is there was at least a common moral basis Uh, but like, for instance, the current generation Gen Z from what we've been told is they actually see Christian morality is actually repugnant. Mm -hmm. And this is because a lot of it is the sexuality issues. Uh, we even have Christian, uh, students who will come in and either are struggling with sexual identity themselves. Mm -hmm. And I need to speak in a little bit. It's not a popular perspective, but this is what, uh, it comes about because of what I would call and others have called others way smarter than me have called social contagion. Um, so social contagion is one of these things that as something gains momentum and popularity in a particular culture, it becomes more embraced. Mm-hmm. So give an example of this. So there was a doctor who did research in, in South Korea and uh, they did not used to have eating disorders in South Korea. But what was very interesting is that, American soap operas started getting, making their way into South Korea. And there were women watching American soap operas and lo and behold, 
because of the appearance and things like that, the social contagion became uh, how they how these women appeared, how they thought about their appearance, and they actually developed what they never had before. They had this cultural influence that led to eating disorders mm-hmm. in South Korea. Wow. So there is a concept that we, here's the interesting, we're, we're quick to say, you know, young people now, uh, if you ask them the number one job of what they want to be, uh, let's say you ask a 12, 13 year old, what do you want to do when you grow up? They want to be a social influencer. Mm-hmm. So we're okay. We're okay with this concept of social influencer. So secularly, we agree that there is social influence and social influencers, but we don't like calling it by its real name, which is social contagion. Yeah. Wow. And so social contagion is this sexuality thing. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about it, our public education, I know we have Christian teachers in public education. So they have this real tension between vocationally, I am a teacher, I am a Christian, I want to share the gospel. There are standards that I have in sexuality, but their hands are so tied because our secular education has become so secularized mm-hmm. that there is a fear of uh, being fired or being let go because they share their faith. So this is something that is so ingrained in our culture because of social contagion. We're not really sure how to deal with it yet because you have a society that denies social contagion, but will acknowledge social influence. So I'm not um, sure that makes any it, sense. No, it, it does, any, no it's so helpful. I think that, that gives us a really strong context. Um, again, as, as you all as faculty sit around the in the coffee lounge or, or as, <laughs> as they say in Wisconsin, the bubbler, you know, the, the water. If, if we get that chance. <laughs> uh, I mean, what, what do you, what do you talk about regarding this that, I mean, uh, it's, it's gotta be somewhat disorienting every two to three years having to, sure. to take in a whole uh, new challenge of, of young people who yeah. uh, are now, uh, you know, influenced by, same sex, you know, the acceptance of these things, which will, will, I'd, I'd like to know what you're seeing uh, right now, yeah. but, but again, how, how do you, how, how do you adapt, adjust without changing, compromising those, those yeah. values that, yeah, that was the next part. this school has been built on sure. uh, for a century? Yeah, I, I can tell you that TFC in particular is not compromising in that way. In some ways, even though we're under, you know, title 10 and, and those kind of things, there are fortunately still, as of now, there are still some safeguards for religious uh, organizations that they don't have to, you know, compromise their values or integrity. There is becoming more and more push sometimes, and but that push doesn't necessarily come from the government. It comes from how do we love young people where they are, even if they are, they bought into this cultural zeitgeist, this contagion. And so I would say what we do is we really challenge them to look at and, and this is a primary uh, one of the um, so a lot of kids that come into our college, they're still 18, right? They're still mm-hmm. on the later spectrum of adolescence. Our last conversation, we talked about how adolescence has gone from age 10 to 29 now. Right. Mm-hmm. So we still consider them later adolescents. So the primary goal of adolescence is identity formation. Right. So we know a lot of our teenagers struggle with who they are. Right. And so we ask questions that are different than the culture. So for instance, culture wants them to put their identity in their sexuality, right? But what we try and challenge them is say, okay, are you not more holistically, are you not more than just your sexuality? So this comes a point of what do you give your allegiance to? Mm-hmm. And this is a question really, whether you're a secular or sacred organization, you're going to give your allegiance to something. And so if we're saying that you're only giving your allegiance to your sexual identity, that really short challenges or short changes who you are holistically because you're more than your sexuality. Right. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's the way we address it without compromising. And we actually put those questions back in the heart of our student to have them wrestle with it Mm -hmm. uh, so that they can wrestle with those. Yeah, I've heard it. I was going to ask you about that because I've heard a a number of students say they'll, they'll be in a class, you know, Bible class, uh, Mm -hmm. theology class or something. And, and, uh, they, they're just, sometimes they want the teacher, just tell us what you believe, tell us your, right. view. but, sure. but all he's doing is, is asking questions of us. Sure. Uh, so at what point are the answers, you know, when you, you mentioned asking different questions, at what point are you giving different answers? Uh, which, which I guess would eventually lead to, you know, the, so the, 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 the deep impact and attachment to the sufficiency of scripture, which is still sure. foundational to everything that yeah. you are as a, as an institution. 
Absolutely. And so, you know, you've got, and I hate to say this, this is a, oh, you know, you get Christian kids, quote, Christian kids that come out of a secular setting. Um, whether we like to admit it or not, as much as we, as much as I try to safeguard my kids, uh, they have been very secularized. And frankly, for the, we've been so consumed in the church for, you know, since the early 1900s, on evangelicalism, right, uh, bringing people to Christ, we've left a lot of um, church orphans at the altar. Mm-hmm. And so there's this deeper need for discipleship. And so this is my concept that I think I was talking to you before we started the recording. I think as Christian parents, Christian educators, I hate to say this, but we have to learn how to smartly fight harder for our kids. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that may have developed since we talked last time is I'm actually when, when you have a legal secular organization looking at your work as a Christian, which they're doing with mine, and how do we advocate for young people? And they're saying, we're going to cite this information you've given us a lot. Because what has happened is, I think this goes to this concept of you can be in ministry and still be in the world and have a vocational job. And for me, though, what I know of what we're doing, they don't understand the scripture. They don't understand that it's a biblical worldview, yeah. but they know that we're trying to help. And there's some approaches. And so they're willing to partner with the church. I would say this, and this is true of public schools. The more desperate the situation gets in public schools, the more willing they're open to open their doors to Christian leaders. Because mm-hmm. we do have answers yeah. mm-hmm. and we just have to do it tactfully. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure that that. That. yeah. I love that. Are, are you seeing students coming uh, again, it's easy to say back in our day because I, I, right, I right, think right. that's too general and it's not necessarily true. Right. Uh, but I, I, I wonder if back in our day, which I guess by just asking the question, I'm suggesting it was different that they, you know, students would come already with a, a level of convictions, uh, right. you know, moral issues, uh, theological, and then they would be strengthened. And and maybe on a, some did, some were not. Um, are you are you seeing uh, uh, biblical illiteracy uh, as students come? Is that a, a real concern? Yeah, I, I think uh, yes, and I think that stems stems from again a lack of deeper discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, um, for some students, it's the first exposure to the to the conversation about well, you know, when Paul says work out your salvation, mm-hmm. well, are we, we don't have a salvation by works that puzzle students, right? They're like, well, and then we have to take them into this thing and say, okay, when Paul is saying that he's talking about justification coming to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Sanctification, which they might know a little bit about that. But one that I often hit in my classrooms a lot that really blows their mind is this because the church doesn't talk about it much is Mm -hmm. mortification. What does it mean to die to the self? If you think about it, Jesus' call to the disciples were take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. that's a mortification. And yet so few of our Christian students are aware of that concept. And unless you do mortification, unless you learn to die to yourself, it's hard to share in the glorification, right? Because the crucifixion comes before the resurrection, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to learn to crucify ourselves in order that others might live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really fascinating. So, I, But to, to just that one example to see how students are really um, I don't want to say even biblically illiterate. I mean, they got the Bible stories, but uh, application illiterate. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, even as you said, when students are going, well, tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. They've been raised up in this. They're just give me answers. Give me answers. But the answers that they're given just goes more confusion. Yeah. So we, we want to give those. We want to let them wrestle with those things back and say, we're not going to teach you. Well, public schools teach students what to think. They're not teaching them how to think. Yeah, yeah. So when we say, okay, here's the process of sanctification, how do you wrestle with mortification? What does that look like for you? How do you own that? And this is this is how we keep young people involved in life of the Christian walk in churches. We have to give them ownership of their faith. We have to move beyond conventional faith and do an intentional plan for integrative faith. So you're you're having students come uh, and and obviously challenged and then changed and it and it's uh, you know I, I I sense part of the goal is to help them navigate through the the hard issues that uh, are in society uh, you know social justice sexual identity things like that um, but how much so so you're helping them navigate all that but how much are you seeing a transformation 
uh, in their own hearts that, you know, is, is kind of the, at the core of navigating in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think, you know, that's the beauty of seeing somebody come in as a freshman and then mm-hmm. following them through four years, especially yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you build that rapport and that relationship. And, and that's even think about the beauty of that, even in quote, your typical high school or even Christian school, you know, they get different teachers all throughout their four years of high school. Right. Mm-hmm. But for us, we get to, that's the thing I love about being at TFC. It's a smaller college. I get to know my students really, really well and see that growth from freshman to, uh, to senior and to see that change, to see the maturity. Part of that still is biological, right? The prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. develops around 24. So they're getting really, that logical part, they're getting really close to that. Seeing their life experience, we push uh, the internships and being involved in ministry. So it really does change them. They're actually not only hearing theory, they're actually being able to put it in practice. And they learn some significant things about themselves. They just had yeah. one student say, I, I had all this academic theory, but then I realized that I, while I want to push this, the thing that I learned out of my internship is I need to have more humility mm-hmm. uh, because they're getting in with other people that may not have the academic and they're having to bite. Their- so really to hear students say humility is really, that's boy, that's a game changer. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the relationship that you're building with students too, uh, you know, it has, has huge impact uh, probably as much, if not more than, than the classroom uh, time, you know, I, every a lot of times when I'm there at the college, I see you talking to students. So I know that's uh, that's important to you. Um, what what are some of the things specifically that you're you're seeing as students come, uh, you know, such as the the you know sexual identity, uh, yeah. uh, social mm-hmm. justice, even even issues like abortion, yeah, um, yeah. you know, because again, uh, the, the, this it this is easy to put it this way. And I'm not in the world, that world as much as you are. So I, I think I need to be reminded there needs to be a high level of compassion. Uh, sure. But but this needs to be, that needs to be, that worldview needs to be deconstructed and replaced right. with a biblical worldview. Uh, so what shocks yeah. you, and maybe you're desensitized to it now, as you've seen maybe a generation or two of students coming that are accepting of these things, uh, but what, what does, what burdens you probably should be the way I asked that? I think what we're seeing, and, and I think for instance, COVID just recently highlighted this is I think we're seeing that even our Christian students, because of so much indoctrination by a secular worldview, mm-hmm. I think even our Christian students, I, we, we all see as professors, we see an increasing number of students coming in with depression. Yeah. And coming in with anxiety. And it's, I mean, I think this was going on before COVID, but COVID highlighted it. Um, and I think it's because what all this is stemming to, you know, sort of what the scripture says, don't be tossed about by the waves. Don't be like infants. Right. So I think that what's going on with our students is all this tossing about all this cultural melee for lack of a better word. And the church is saying this, but the culture is saying this, uh, and they want to be compassionate toward their friends who are mm-hmm. struggling with sexual identity and things like that, right? So they've been indoctrinated into a, I would say, almost false compassion. Mm-hmm. Yes, we want to care for people, but it doesn't mean we have to be compassionate about sin. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's happening, though, is because of this confusion, it is the confusion and chaos that is causing them to be depressed and anxious and stuff. Because they want to have this compassion, but they are feeling like, how can I be compassionate? And how can I have a biblical worldview? Well, you can have a biblical worldview by thinking deeper and saying, okay, how do I say to my friend, hey, is your identity just wrapped up in your sexuality? If it is, is that all there is to you? Mm-hmm. And allow that person to think deeper and go, well, wait a minute, that, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Right. Because the, the culture, even though they might say they're spiritual, the culture doesn't need know how they don't know how to deal with the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think that's the, what shocks me is seeing more Christian students come in with a confusion and chaos, mm-hmm. which, again, that's an issue of discipleship. We're not discipling our kids deeper. We're, we're having programs for kids, but we're not discipling them deeper and having them own their faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you know the recent uh, research shows that. Gen Z, a great generation. They have a lot to do. They want to do a lot, but they are, uh, they tend to be um, uh, nihilistic. Uh, There seems to be this lack of hope for future. Matter of fact, you ask most kids, you know, how do you feel about the future? And they just feel kind of hopeless about this, what leads in the depression, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're amoral. Uh, 
at least the culture as as own they're amoral, amoral if not immoral right and then if it's christian morality it's repugnant yeah then and then they're they they may be theistic but they're more tend to be atheistic it's mm-hmm. just they have a spiritual side but they feel like they can fill that spiritual by again it's almost like the college courses by picking this, picking this, picking mm-hmm. this Buddha, little Buddhism, a little Islam, a little Christianity, a little, this a little, my thing. And so that's how they're developing their, their spirituality. But of course it leaves them blank because it, again, it causes confusion. So you're but seeing say, freshmen's coming in with this disorientation or disenchantment. Uh, yeah. And, and are they, do, do you see them uh, uh, awakened, you know, after a year and, and excited because they're, getting their bearing and yeah, I, th- I think we're offering cool. them a little bit more stability because yeah. we, you know, we, you know, you talk, take philosophy courses, for instance, right. And when you realize that there are, are elements of Islam that conflict with Christianity or vice versa, you realize, well, wait a minute, something's got to give. Yeah. Right. And again, we're not teaching them what to think. We're saying, Hey, here's the one thing that the world does not give a student is a holistic picture. That's I think people holistically in a discipleship manner mm-hmm. now that don't get it wrong the culture is discipling young people but they're not discipling holistically to have it's not pick and choose you got to have a standard somewhere you got to have a foundation as jesus says you know if you if you build your foundation on sand the house is going to fall right you need to build your foundation mm-hmm. on rock mm-hmm. and we're yeah. trying to offer them this is the rock we're talking about this mm-hmm. is a solid foundation but you have to wrestle with it knowing it yeah. And, and some of these issues are, are addressed generally or, brought, you know, like a shotgun uh, approach, uh, but specific individually, let, let's say, for example, there's a student that that admits to the a, a professor or, or some peers that they're struggling with same sex attraction. Um, you know, the, the college has a stance on that. There's a biblical stance. Faculty have that. What do you, how do you help someone, uh, through that? And I guess past that as well. And I, I agree with you. I've, I've thought often that uh, that's a, it's interesting that that's the arena where we make so much our sexuality, our identity. We don't do that in any other area of, of sexuality, but only in, in same sex. But yeah, I mean that, so just as an example, how would you want to see transfer? So honestly, I think, sure. And where the, where the church, okay. So this goes back to earlier conversations where the church has dropped the ball. When I say the church, Mm -hmm. parent church organization, when Christendom, not Christianity, when Christendom has dropped the ball, it's because we've been so much in a model of assimilation. You know, the world does that, too. The world wants people to look like the world, right? But the church wants people to look like the church. And so we try to assimilate, which means that when people don't assimilate in their sexual perspective or whatever, then we reject them. Mm-hmm. Well, our young people have already experienced a great deal of rejection already. The world yeah. does that. When you don't conform to the world, right, you feel rejected. So this is why I push deeply, deeply into this concept of adoption. Now, I've learned a lot about adoption through my personal story, again, first, yeah. first seminar. So when I have a young person coming in who might say, I'm dealing with same-sex attraction, I say, how would I treat my children if they came to me yeah. and did that? Well, I would not yeah. disown them, right? But we know churches have disowned people. We know families have disowned young people. What does that create? more chaos, more confusion, mm-hmm. more hurt, right? So when I look at it and say, if one of my sons came to me and said, Dad, I'm, I'm attracted to the same sex, I would say, all right, well, let's talk about that. I love you. I accept you for who you are. I can't condone it, but it does not mean you're going to stop being my son, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then I would say, you know, I, I say something pretty radical that maybe people won't, won't agree with the more conservative perspective. I think we need to say messages like, I think you can struggle with same-sex attraction and still be a pastor if you're not acting on it, mm-hmm. same thing with adultery, right? A pastor can be in a, a, a heterosexual adulterous mm-hmm. temptation, but that doesn't disqualify you from ministry. What disqualifies you is what you do with it. Yeah. 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 Right? I mean, you're so my kid. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. But, well, I think that's the thing is I don't want my sons to ever feel like I am rejecting them. Mm-hmm. Right. I will have them wrestle holistically and say, but what is the best, what is the best scenario for your life? What is going to cause you the less grief 
And, and don't, you know, you can't buy into the world saying, well, if you just give into those temptations, whatever they are, you'll have less grief. That's not true. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of unhappy homosexual couple, couples mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I just, I want to make sure that my students come in, feel, feel adopted and feel mm-hmm. loved and are able to ask questions and able to get godly guidance without feeling like they're being judged. Uh, but also that let them understand there is a standard. Yeah. Yeah. The few times I've counseled uh, college students or high school students in, in that area is I say, so we're, we're not going to make it about that. We're going to make it about your heart, uh, your understanding of Jesus, what he did for you. And, and let's keep it about that, you know, because if, uh, you know, if someone comes to me for counseling and they, they struggle with gluttony, I'm not going to be latched onto that. I mean, that that's a symptom of, of some other issues, but I want to talk about righteousness. I want to talk about the gospel, what Christ has done for us. And, and I, it's simplistic to say that eventually I think, you know, things fall into place, but I think they do. I think the scriptures teach us that, that as we, we seek God's heart, you know, other things become less, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Hebrews, uh, let us run the race, you know, with perseverance and, and uh, don't get entangled and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's not going to mean we're not going to struggle, but our focus and perspective is on the gospel. Uh, you know, the, the, the issue, again, I, I just one more specific thing, because I'm just trying to sort this out myself, how, um, how I'm understanding that generation. But um, I, I hear occasionally that students will come with a, a sympathy towards abortion and sure. uh, that that's not like you know, they're not coming in, not a lot, not all of them are coming in saying, this is wrong, this is a conviction. Uh, how do you, because that's a little bit different than same-sex attraction, because you you don't want to train a pastor uh, to, you know, uh, struggle with that, but don't act it out. I mean, that that doesn't work there. So, so how right. do you, how do you, how do you promote life in those situations? Yeah. Yeah, we, we really haven't been pushed or haven't addressed that too much here, obviously, at TFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think here's here's the weird way. I don't know how to say this, but it's mm-hmm. a couple of things. I'm going to chase a few short, quick rabbit trails. Number one, uh, I think we have to be okay with telling our young people as much as, for instance, okay, so what was it, 15, 20 years ago, that was the big issue, right? Because mm-hmm. homosexuality and all that sexuality stuff wasn't wasn't the zeitgeist push of the day. It was abortion, right? Yeah. Um, and I think what I have to say to the church and to young people is, you know, we know that as Christians, we know that we we want all life to be preserved. And, you know, then people get into the thing about, well, then if you don't support abortion, do you support death penalty, right? So there's these things as apples and oranges, yeah. but they try and make it all apples, right? Um, so what I look at too is say, let me flip the script a little bit. Instead of saying, what are we against? What are we for? Yeah, so for instance, I would say that if a church is going to preach about against abortion, right? I think the first message we got to preach is, okay, what are we doing with the young people that are here? Because yeah. that is a valid argument from people who are pro-abortion. What about the kids that are born in these homes? You can't take them. That is a valid argument, right? So the way we sure. take the teeth out of that is we say, the church should step up more and they are stepping up more to care for orphans, to care yeah, for kids yeah. in foster care. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm seeing more pa- I mean, you, you've adopted a, a couple boys. We, we took in a couple kids for, for eight years. I, I'm seeing so many pastors that are adopting and fostering and, and that that's countering. I, I agree with you again. It's a, it's a response of righteousness is rather than speaking against things only yeah. We speak for things, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a beautiful answer. Uh, let me uh, just for, just for time here, uh, move on to something else. How, how do you um, how, how's this generation viewing the gospel? Uh, maybe differently than than previous generations have. Well, I, I think I think they know, and I don't think they'd argue with us at all. I, I think the gospel never changes; how we present the gospel changes, mm, right? Mm. Uh, so it's like Paul on Mars Hill, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, again, he doesn't get onto the Romans and say, you stinking pagan heathens, you're going to hell because of all this idolatry and false gods, right? He actually meets them where they're at. And I think that's what we teach our students is the gospel doesn't change. The good news of Jesus Christ doesn't change. Look, the reality is uh, I even use this little discussion. I say, so let's, let's agree with the atheist. Let's say there is no God. 
okay, so then what are all of the ills of the world? Wh- whose feet does that lay at then? Mm-hmm. Well, it lays at humanity because there is no God, right? Yeah. That doesn't change even when there is a God. The fact of the matter is God is perfect. God is holy. And I say this too, you know, a lo- they say, well, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. And I would say, you're right. A loving God will provide a way out. Oh, by the way, guess uh, what? I, I had that conversation with my son last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He provides a loving way out. So I'm not even sure I went with this other than that, you know, our young people coming in, I, I do think they, they still have a shallow view of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about, again, justification, sanctification, mortification, they're not there. A lot of times, this is going to sound really crazy. Sometimes when we're asking them, what is the gospel? That's their capstone question. One of the capstone questions, what is the gospel? You'd be surprised how many of them leave out the resurrection or even especially the ascension. Yeah. Right. And so we have to remind them. And it's not like they leave it out intentionally. It's just kind of, they're just not thinking about the fullness mm-hmm. of the gospel, right? There's so much more to the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think teaching our young people, the gospel doesn't change, but how we present it does. Yeah. 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 My, uh, my granddaughter came back from Moana last night and said, uh, she spent the night with us and, and she gave her Bible verse and, uh, it was, uh, you know, believe in your heart that, uh, uh, Christ is raised from the dead and you'll be saved. And I said, and what does Papa always say? She goes, yeah, yeah. The gospel. <laughs> so I love, uh, I love, I love emphasizing that to her uh, often. Yeah. Um, another well, question well, here. Uh, uh, how, how do they view, I, again, this is, this is probably summing up our previous conversation, sure. uh, but how are, and it, again, you talk about change. I, we, we did that at a podcast a year ago. Maybe a lot has changed in a year. Uh, and yeah. with COVID actually, it probably has, but how are they, how are you observing their view and value to church? Um, well, I think even Christians are saying younger Christians are saying that they don't like institutional church. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. But the fact of the matter is, yeah. I mean, are they going to be so adamantly against their institutional work? (laughs) You know, there's institutions always have their stuff. Um, The good news is I think what they're really trying to say is I think what they're trying to say is they want the church outside the walls of the church. Yeah. Right. Um, So, one of the things I, I push on a little bit is th- this is true of any generation. It is true of secular people. It is true of Christian people. One of the things the church has to tap into better is more about relationships and not so much programs. Mm-hmm. We have to tap in better being, I, I'll be honest with you, this is going to ruffle some feathers. I wish we would even get rid of the term next gen ministries. Mm. And I wish we would change that to intergen ministries. Yeah. You're about as uh, you're about as solid on that one as you are using big church, right? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> Bring out that soapbox, right? Yeah, yeah. But churches are still so far behind. They're still wrestling with you know church, uh, church and family. I'm trying to say church as family. We're still mm. saying they're still wrestling with next gen. I'm trying to say intergen. And because again, it's we've how how functional would your family be if you said, well, you're my granddaughter, so we're just going to interact very little, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or you know, you're my child, and you grow, but we're it's the craziest thing that the church has not bought into this. So I guess what I'm saying, I don't even remember the question, other than the fact that yeah, their view of church. Yeah, um, I here's the crazy thing about it. They're so used to church being church as the way church is mm-hmm. that they understand that there's got to be a need, but they don't know how to get, or there's got to be a need for change, but they don't know how to get there. Wow. Wow. And I'm experiencing this, you know, the Hmong church has a real issue with, you got first generation pastors who know they need to equip the next generation, but they're afraid to let go of things. But I wouldn't say that's just a Hmong church thing. I think that's a church leadership issue. We have this hierarchy structure mm-hmm. and what the pastor says goes or what the older elders in the church say go, and we're not listening to each other. Yeah. So when your granddaughter comes and talks to you, she may say stuff that sounds very juvenile, Mm-hmm. But you know what? She's still got some beauty of truth in there. And we need to listen to what their heart need is yeah. because we keep saying the church, you know, the youth of the church of the future, we won't have a future because we're not letting them be equipped and own their, their, their ministry, their faith now. That's an interesting perspective. And, uh, you know, I'm sure as pastors are hearing that they're scratching their head and thinking, well, okay, what do I do about that? That's uh, it's, it's almost a, a new paradigm. 
Um, and and that's why they're struggling with it. It's yeah. easy to do the things the way it's been done, right? Yeah. Have a four-year-old come up with an adult and take the offering. Mm-hmm. Have a middle schooler pray that one of the prayer times, right? Mm-hmm. Have kids, whatever an adult can do, they can bring a kid along with them where it's age appropriate, right? Kids are going to not own their faith if it's just a spectator sport, yeah. right? Yeah. We've made Christianity a spectator sport yeah. and we professionalize the coach, right? Yeah. But we've got to get, we've got to, embrace the family. My kids have chores. That's how they're part of the family. Mm-hmm. We've got to let young people have chores in the church and own their faith and own, own the church function. Yeah. I love that. That's a, that's a great answer. A lot, lot to chew on, on there. Um, how, how does a uh, final question here, how is the, you know, this, uh, uh, cause one, one of the things that I'm hearing and observing a lot with the, the, previous, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z is, uh, they, they long for authenticity and, yes. and they're, they're, they're big on honesty and, and raw about it. They're very transparent, very vulnerable. Um, what excites you about that? How, how is this an opportunity maybe as we've never seen before? Yeah, I, I think we have to be a little careful with that too, because then we can say, oh, well, they, they, they appreciate authenticity and honesty. But then if you go in and put this Christian morality on them, right, then all of a sudden they don't want it. Yeah, yeah. So I think we got to remember, yes, but we've got to do it with grace. And mm-hmm. I think that's what excites me is if we can get right, um, I think that builds more bridges of understanding. I What excites me is I think younger generation is more socially active, but I want to change some, here I am, I'm, I'm going to be mm-hmm. controversial again. I wish we'd get rid of the words social justice, at least for Christians, mm-hmm. and say kingdom justice. Social justice looks at the here and now, the, the ontological, yeah, yeah. right? Kingdom justice is deontological, meet their needs here and now, but also teleological. We have to do it in the name of Christ. Yeah. And I think if we get our young people, what excites me is that they can find their passion, they're going to find their purpose. Yeah. I think we keep trying to ask them, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? Well, without passion, and honesty and conversation, I think it's going to be hard for them to find their purpose. Yeah. 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 And, and like us, when we prepared for ministry, there was the impulse to want to change the world. And, yeah. Yeah. uh, you know, uh, 40 years later, I'm looking at it and said, well, it, it's worse than it was. There's yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, some of that you learn as you age, you know, and, and yeah. mature and grow in, in faith and, um, and yeah, purpose, you know, that, that when people ask me what my purpose is, my, my son asked me this recently. And, and I said, well, if you asked me that four years ago, I would have given you a list of things that I wanted to do. Right. Uh, but now it's mm-hmm. to, it's just, to, it's to love the gospel, represent the gospel as, uh, as often as I can. And, and how, how, how do I live these last years that I have here for Jesus? I, I want to serve him. I want to serve people. And it's become a lot simpler And uh, with with less expectation for myself and more trust. I mean, my view of the sovereignty of God has increased tremendously as I've gotten older because there's mystery. I, I, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day about about hell. And here we are, two men close to 60. Well, he's older than than me. He's already in his 60s. And and we're sitting here thinking we struggle with this, you know, eternal punishment, loving God and say, so, yeah, but I, but I've, I've been comfortable living with the mystery of that and not being able to explain it, you know, who can, who can know the mind of the Lord, you know, and, uh, and that makes me more in awe of him. I, sure. I love him even more because he's so mysterious and amazing. And uh, I mean, this God that somehow lowered himself in, became a seed and a woman and that was god it's like uh don't 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 use an egg to teach you that <laughs> lesson you know <laughs> yeah well i think you mitch you're at a point where i wish we'd get our younger people here this because and this is what we teach in spiritual formation you know we are called human beings not human doings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is we spend so much of our time doing yeah how do we how do we teach younger people which i think this is they are spiritual i think we can tap mm-hmm. into this and say let's focus on your human being who are you as a human being holistically yeah. not a human doing right yeah. and again if you can find that passion in your being 
you will find your purpose. And I think that's part of the problem is a lot of young people walking around, they think I know purpose. They're they're What do we do? Right. Yeah, what do we do? Yeah. Well, again, they want to change the world. You know, they want to rescue right. women from sex slavery. They want to, Here, they, want to change, they want to rescue people from poverty. And uh, right. yeah, it, it is good. Um, you know, it, uh, I, I love your, your definition of that. That's social justice versus kingdom justice. I, I mean, yeah. one of my, one of my burdens is that does not become our missiology. Uh, that right. just change the injustice around us, that that becomes what the gospel is all about. It, it's part of that, but it's, it's far larger. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's, let me, uh, let's, yeah, go ahead. Can I say quick, I'm excited also about this. You tapped into something. I think where evangelicalism, where you and I were growing up, they were more concerned about the deontological. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The teleological, they were more concerned about by and by pie in the sky, heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Wait till I die, I go to heaven. I think that's the great thing about this generation. Social justice has woken us up to the need for kingdom justice, right? Mm -hmm. And I think our young people understand we got to stop being the church just inside the church. We got to be the church out in the world and we need to make a difference. That's exciting. And if we can do it in the name of Jesus, I think that's the only thing we got to teach our young people. Do that, but do it in the name of Jesus. Yeah, which, which encompasses the gospel that people are sinners and they need a savior, and so as we, as we do social justice, we somehow in that present Christ as the, uh, as our rescuer, you know, that, uh, he, he changes the heart when the heart's changed, you know, you're, you're going to want to help people be generous and, uh, see change around you. Yeah. And I hate to say this one last thing. I know we're running out of time here. I think we actually got to change the way we present the gospel in the sense that instead of starting sin we have to start with healing Mm. Uh, we have a lot of young people in culture that is hurting so i think if we represent jesus christ not only as savior but our starting conversation is not as savior but as healer Mm. so many people are going to resonate with the the need for healing because heal people heal people hurt people hurt people yeah yeah and uh, i think we start with jesus as as healer and then going into savior Mm. Mm. Um, interesting thought Wow, we—I I think you've said "final thought" five times, so that—that's five different other <laughs> podcasts that we can do. Sorry about that, <laughs> but no, th- no, this has been great. I—I uh, I, I loved it. Uh, any any final thoughts as we wrap up here, Rich? This no, I appreciate what great. you're doing, and I just want to encourage folks again. It's—it's it's sort of like we over, we complicate it, and I would go back. To, I think it was Augustine who said, "Love God and do what you want." Yeah, and if we yeah. love God and do what we want, we're going to find passion. I love it. I love it. Great way to end. That is great awesome okay well look forward to the next time we can chat sounds good thank you for your time take care thank you rich well there you have it thank you so much for listening to this episode of the before you quit podcast if you have any questions or comments about anything that we've talked about today on before you quit or other episodes you can email me at mitch at before you quit dot us So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 